Welcome to Reckoning. My name is Ingrid, and I'm starting this podcast to share open and honest discussions about our experiences with death. I'm hoping that as a culture, we can grow to talk about it without it being feared as a heavy, scary, and overwhelming topic. Let's talk about it more, get a little more comfortable with it, wrestle and wonder and ask questions. Let's reckon with it. We all have to deal with this aspect of life. We will lose everyone we know, and we ourselves will die. So how can we face this reality with eyes more open, with some grace, humility, understanding, and even appreciation? How can we embrace this aspect of being a human and use it as a way to grow, learn, and expand? The goal of this podcast is to turn toward these shared experiences, using our stories and collective wisdom to gain some courage and strength and skill to face it. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to and have these conversations with me. Thanks for being willing to reckon with the topic of death and dying. This episode, I have a conversation with Ashley Jones in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Our conversation ranges from motherhood to self-care to her unique organization, Love Not Lost, which provides photography and support for those who are facing terminal illness. You are the partner of somebody I already recorded on an interview, so can you talk about who that is and, and what you're like. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so you um, interviewed Kyle Jones a while ago, who's my husband. And we um, had a daughter with a terminal illness who had passed away. And he talked a lot about that mm. from his perspective. I um, probably have a little bit of a different perspective and then also have done a lot of work um, with people facing terminal illnesses and a lot around death and grief and and dying just um, from running the nonprofit. So, uh, yeah, I'm here to talk about anything you want to talk about. Yeah, well, there's a there's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> so let's just start with for folks that haven't heard the episode with Kyle, um, mm-hmm. who was Skylar, and maybe just yeah, tell us about that whole experience of losing her from your perspective as a mom? Yeah. So Skylar was our daughter. Um, we were surprised with a pregnancy probably like a year and a couple months into our marriage. And when she was born, we found out at her two month checkup that she had spinal muscular atrophy, um, or SMA for short, and it's a terminal condition where muscles degenerate, and there's no cure. It's really similar to ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease for those of you who know that condition, Um, but it's just in in babies. And so basically with type one, the the kind that she had that 
presents itself in babies. Like the, the strongest she was was when she was born. And so as her muscles degenerated, she, you know, never reached her milestones. She couldn't hold her head up. Um, she became really floppy, like her limbs would just kind of flop around. And basically, we spent uh, her whole life just trying to learn as much as we could about the condition, how to best care for her, um, how to provide, you know, the best quality of life that we could, and and really just enjoy the time that we had with her as our daughter, um, as parents. And it was very clear to me that I needed to be her stay-at-home mom and full-time caregiver, Mm -hmm. which is not something that I had planned to do. Mm -hmm. But um, Kyle and I were in a position where we, you know, that was a possibility, which I was very grateful for. And I was able to stay home and take care of her and, and learn all the medical equipment and physical therapy and other therapies, respiratory therapy that we had to do to give her the best life possible. Mm. So I did that for 19 months and then she passed away just before her 21 month birthday. So yeah, it was really hard um, just watching her get worse. And But the beautiful thing about the disease, if there is one, is that her mind wasn't affected. Mm. So she was still like able to connect with us. She understood what was going on. Like you could tell in her eyes that she knew who I was. She knew who Kyle was. She loved us. Like her face would light up when we'd walk into a room. You know, a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of really beautiful things we were grateful for as far as the connection that we know isn't always guaranteed with other, you know, diseases and conditions. Like some parents don't get any of that. And so that was just something we were really grateful for that Mm -hmm. made a difference in us being able to like handle everything as young parents. Cause we were only, I was only 25 when I had her and you know, that was a, a huge shift and just hard thing to deal with at such a young age. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I imagine we talked about this a little bit with Kyle, but like just so hard to hold the grief and the joy at the same time, uh, knowing for that entire length of her life that, you know, it was this beautiful thing and to be a mother and to watch this little being come into the world and grow and develop. And then also knowing at the same time that there was, there was an end to that. And Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's it's really challenging and it's really easy to get depressed and to stay focused on the negative of like, oh my god, like our daughter's going to die. Mm-hmm. And like what what do I do with that? How do I process that? But in our mind it was like, okay, like we we don't have tomorrow guaranteed. Like none of us do even though we have this illusion of it when we're healthy, you know. Mm-hmm. But we, it was something that we realized, like, if we, you know, if we just get depressed and have a pity party and feel sorry for ourselves and kind of take on that victim mentality of like, oh, like, why us? Everything happened to us, blah, 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 you know, like, that just is miserable. And it actually, like, robs you of the joy that you can experience. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it just takes away so much 
joy and value from your life that we decided early on that we were going to try and make the most of every moment we had together. Mm-hmm. And I think that made a really big difference of being intentional about that decision. And not to say that we didn't have depressed days or, or sad days, but we were able to like move through them instead of just like sitting in them forever. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, it really speaks to a beautiful ability to be intentional and be aware, uh, despite hardship and despite obstacles and difficulties and loss. And I also, my understanding is that the divorce rate between people that lose a child is extremely high. So I don't know if that's something you guys thought about or talked about during Mm -hmm. that experience or afterwards, or if it was something like that you wrestled with your relationship with each other as well during that time. Yeah, we heard a rumor early on that like the divorce rate was like 80 to 90 percent for people who've lost a child. And whether that's true or not, it's still kind of up in the air of like how scientific that statistic is. Sure. But marriage is hard anyway. Like in the best of circumstances, it's hard. You have Mm -hmm. like two lives that are very different coming together and trying to like join the same team. You know, you add on top of it, like stress and blame and like essentially just being in survival mode 24 seven. And when you're in survival mode, you're only thinking about yourself and you're like, I just need to function and I need to, you know, (laughs) be fed, get sleep and like find a way to carry on until tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I think for Kyle and I, it was so hard because we both were doing the absolute best that we could and it still wasn't good enough. Mm. So, and like, we actually verbally said that to each other and it really helped. It really helped each other kind of give, give permission to, to fail at things. It was like, look, I'm doing the best that I can. You're doing the best that you can. And like, it's still not good enough because like, Kyle was working a full-time job to keep our insurance and to keep a good paycheck. But like he would come home exhausted and like not knowing what Skylar and I went through that day. And he would be like, I just need dinner and sleep. And I'd be like, Oh my God, like, you know, Skylar turned blue today. I'm emotionally exhausted. I just need a break. Like I need you to sit with your daughter and I like need you to have time with her. Mm -hmm. And then like, I just need to step outside and get some fresh air have a break. And, and it was really hard. Cause like those days were, were tough because neither of us wanted to like give the other person grace on how mm. they were feeling. Mm. And it was like, no, you need to take care of me. And he's like, no, you need to take care of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we both were just like at such a deficit of love and energy that I think that's what made it really hard and really easy to like want to call it quits. Yeah. Cause it was like, I have no more love to give. You have no more love to give. Like, how is this going to work out? Yeah, absolutely. And then on top of that, like, yeah, still needing to give love and energy and attention Yeah, to this child, this baby mm-hmm. that's like, also, you know, experiencing life and trying to figure out 
you know, what's happening. And yeah, that, I mean, it, it truly sounds like one of the hardest human experiences. And I think it is, you know, people talk about losing a child as one of the toughest. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's so hard to compare different losses because for example, like, um, I know I have a friend who lost her daughter in like a really tragic accident. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's horrifying because like her and her husband struggle with blame. Mm -hmm. And like Kyle and I didn't have that because we both are carriers of the SMA gene. Um, Both parents have to be carriers for the child to be affected. So it was like, it wasn't, any one person that like caused this for Skylar. Mm-hmm. Whereas like an accident, if like a child dies because of negligence on the parents part, it's like, how do you come back from that? Yeah. Because that's like a whole nother level of like guilt and blame that like mm-hmm. Kyle and I don't really have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So yeah. So I think like, I mean, Yes, like losing a child is absolutely tragic and difficult and, you know, I think one of the hardest human experiences, but I think it's really difficult to compare losses where it's like, it just sucks all around and like different situations are so different that it's like, yeah, 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 everybody's got their own form of suffering or difficulty, Mm -hmm. their circumstances, definitely, Mm -hmm. definitely. Do you have some, I mean, I, I think I know what the answer is, but do you have some happy and, and like funny memories of your time with her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <do> you- <laughs> As I mentioned, like I was her stay at home mom and caregiver. And like when she was first diagnosed, you could barely tell anything was wrong with her. Like she, she um, wasn't sitting up or holding her head up or anything, but she would just lay down, look completely normal. So there were so many times of just like playing together and I had grown my hair out while I was pregnant Mm -hmm. and I had really long hair, like almost down to my elbows. I was going to cut it off when the baby started pulling on it because you know how like babies grab Mm -hmm. onto hair and they like yank it. Right, right. Skylar could never grip anything Mm -hmm. and she could never hold, she could never reach for anything. So she never had the capacity to lift her arms over her head. Mm. Um, And so, and her right arm kind of like came up like a chicken wing and it kind of stayed in this little wing position. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like she's never pulled my hair. And that's one thing that's like universal that like all babies do. (laughs) It's like hair, earrings, jewelry, necklaces, like any of that. Like you just know as a woman, you just like don't go around and baby with that without it getting fun. And so I like reached down and, and at this point, Skylar's lungs were still okay. Like she could still breathe on her own fine, but she couldn't really talk or like make a lot of sounds. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think this is around like four months maybe. And I was like, oh man, I bet she just would love to just grab my hair. So I placed my, I like leaned down and placed my head right above her and like just let my hair and I kind of like lifted my head up in a way that like my hair would kind of like run through her hand Uh uh-huh 
And she squealed so loud of just like pure <laughs> joy. Like I'm, I like, it was amazing. And Kyle was in the back of the house and he was like, what was that? <laughs> and I was like almost crying and like laughing with like tears of joy because I was like, I found what she wanted to do, you know, like, mm -hmm. and so then I like cupped my hand around the back of her hand and like mm -hmm. allowed it to where she could like, I kind of like cupped my hand so she could grip my hair a little bit better. And I did it again. And she like squealed even louder. And Kyle came like running to the front and was like, was that Skylar? And I was like, yeah, like, oh my <laughs> gosh, I just wanted to grab my hair for so long. And I like, so I, I kept my hair long the whole time she was alive um, mm -hmm. just so we could play with it together. Gosh, but, yeah, great. I love that. Yeah, it was super sweet. And oh. then, um, and then another one other story that's my favorite is like when, when we were, she was getting older and like, you know, I had like the baby Einstein movies and like little cartoons and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I would put them in and she would just kind of like, look at me like, mom, I am so much more advanced than this. <laughs> and I would be like, All right, like, okay, so we at probably six months old, we started watching like length like Disney Pixar movies uh -huh. and she was engaged the whole time wow wow and then at like what was really fun was like probably seven or eight months old we were watching Finding Nemo and it was right before the part that Dory spoke whale and she started giggling huh. and I was like wait why are you laughing and then like Dory spoke whale like a minute later and then she was like still laughing and I was like, oh, my gosh, she, like, knew it was coming. Like, <laughs> so we'd watched it enough. Like, she knew it was coming. And it was, like, a, a premeditated laugh of, like, I know what's about to happen. So it was cool. Like, I think she – a lot of her development went to her brain because it wasn't going to her muscles. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, so she was, like, a really brilliant little kid. And um, – and everyone who met her was like, oh, my gosh, she has such wisdom in her eyes. Mm -hmm. Like, she just seems like an old soul. But anyway, she, yeah, she was so fun. She was, like, so beautiful, such a joy, definitely touched everyone who met her. Oh, my gosh. Those are beautiful stories. And I especially like what you're talking about with the hair because it just really tells a narrative of, a, a mother's intuition and a woman's intuition of, and, and even just like with her in the, the movies, like, you know, you're looking into her eyes and you're understanding what she's communicating to you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I just, I love that. I love the, like, you know, aside from basic needs, she maybe wants to try this thing that we can't tell if she has an interest in it or not, but I think she does. And then, mm -hmm lo and behold, it becomes this joy that she hasn't had access to. And for you to be able to provide that tactile, simple, you know, it, it's like all of these present experiences that we have that as, as adults, we even find so pleasant, you know, like your toes in the sand or like to feel a hot cup of coffee between your hands, like things like that, that feel so lovely. Mm -hmm. um, I just think that's so beautiful that you were able to give that to her and, and recognize that that was something she had been wanting and needing so yeah it was it was a that was a super fun day did you I mean as you were figuring out that something was wrong 
Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there was an intuitive part of oh, that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. So um, at one month old, really at two weeks old, I was like, man, she's like really quiet and like doesn't move a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And part of me was like, well, Kyle and I are pretty chill people. <laughs> so right. I was like, she might just be a super chill baby. I don't know. <laughs> but then um, right before her one month checkup is when I noticed all of a sudden that her arm came up like a chicken wing. And I was like, that's weird. And I like would slowly pull it back down and I could tell like it would naturally come back up to the chicken wing position without her controlling it. And so I was like trying to figure it out. And I knew, so I knew something was not quite right, but still my worst case scenario in my head was just a lifetime of surgeries and physical therapies and like, you know, like long-term care, like death had not crossed my mind. And so I brought it up to the pediatrician and he's like, Hey, it might be a brachial plexus injury. And I was like, no dude. I was like, (laughs) for, cause he explained like the brachial plexus injury is when like a shoulder gets stuck in the birth canal and Mm. then like a nerve is damaged. Mm. And I was like, no, I delivered naturally like, as soon as her head came out, her whole body just slipped right out. Mm-hmm. I was like, she did not get stuck, I promise you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so he was like, well, I'll just send you there anyway, because I don't really know what else it could be at this point. And I was like, okay, well, it took two weeks to get to that appointment. And in between those two weeks, her other arm started to rotate inward and hang limp as if it were completely disconnected. Mm. And I was like, that's when I was like, oh God, something is really wrong because that just happened in a matter of two weeks. And like now it's both arms and like, I don't know what it is. Mm. But again, like, like my still worst thought was like, okay, like we'll just do so much physical therapy and so many surgeries and whatever we can do. Mm -hmm. And I got to the brachial plexus or the brachial plexus specialist And it was a snow day in Atlanta, which means, like, everything shuts down. Okay. (laughs) There were, like, two inches of snow, or not even. It was, like, a dusting of snow. But it it shuts the city down. And the doctor's office called me, and they were like, hey, we're still open because we only book these appointments twice a month. So I made my way through the city. The the doctor was just looking at me with, like, so much pity. Like, we went through our whole appointment. And because it was like a, you know, snow day in Atlanta, um, all of the lights had shut down except for the emergency lights. And so the hallway was really, really dark. And I swear it was like a scene from a movie Mm -hmm. where like I stepped out of the office to leave and he was like, okay, well, I'm going to put you in touch with a neurologist. I'll make some phone calls to make it happen and we'll be in touch soon. And I walk out of the hallway and I, I start walking towards the checkout desk and I look back over my shoulder and he had stepped out into the hallway after me. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened he stepped under one of the emergency lights. So he was lit up like really, uh-huh. really nice. And then the rest of the hallway was dark. And it was just like he was oozing pity towards me. Like it was just, it was like the worst feeling as a mom. And I wanted to scream like, what are you not telling me? Yeah. And so 30 minutes afterwards, and I get a phone call from the pediatrician. Oh, wow. I was, I was like, oh, great. 
I said a bad word, but <laughs> I don't know if I can cuss on your podcast, but, but I was like, but yeah. <laughs> I was like, dang, like this isn't good. And so I picked up the phone and he was like, it's not good. And so he went through a couple options and at this point no one had smartphones. And mm. so he was like, when you get home, if you make the bad decision to Google all of the names that I just shared with you, here's my personal cell phone. You can call it anytime. Wow. And that's when I knew it was like really, really bad. Cause I was like, no pediatrician in their right mind gives a first time mom their cell phone number. <laughs> hey, really? Don't so, I was like, oh God, this is really bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. He gave me a cell phone number. and sure enough like we googled it she had every single symptom for SMA and and I couldn't eat for like a whole week like I just survived on smoothies because I was like I couldn't I was so upset and really it was like that was just like kind of you know the shock period of we're gonna lose her you know like and then and then that kind of led into her two-month checkup where they confirmed everything and and said yeah wow interesting how you paint that scene of the doctor's office and it's like this apocalyptic type day like the world is ending and that's Mm -hmm. essentially it's true like your world was ending you know like that and Mm -hmm. certainly Skylar's world um yeah it definitely came crashing down that day yeah 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 so you you mentioned that you work in a field of death and dying um Mm -hmm. What what kind of work were you doing then or before parenting and and was there related? How did that shift look like? What do you do now? Like, do you want? Yeah, I'd love to hear some of that. Yeah, so I was working for um, a web design and development company, and basically, I had like started out on an entrepreneurial path, and it was interesting because I like turned in my two weeks notice. Mm. Um. And literally on the last day of my job, I found out I was pregnant. And so, yeah, so it was like, it was crazy. And it, but it was like a, a perfect transition. Um, and then, yeah, when she came along, um, as soon as we got the diagnosis, I was like, my career is going out the window right now. Like, and I, like, that's, I, I wanted that. It was like, I, I want to give everything I can to help her as much as I can. And I'm a super big closet science nerd. (laughs) So like for me being her full-time mom and caregiver, like tapped into that, I was going to be a doctor thing. So we had to do sleep studies and swallow studies and like all of these different testings. And so for every study and every test, I would always ask to stay in the room with her and that like the doctors would explain everything extremely thoroughly. For me, it was like, even though it was like a really horrible situation, it was still kind of 
fun and interesting as far as activating, um, you know, that part of my life of, okay, like, let me learn as much as I can about SMA. Let me learn how to be a respiratory therapist. Let me learn how to be a physical therapist. Let me learn how to do the feeding pump and do the cough assist and do the suction machine and like all of these other things to where I think that actually made me the best mom for her because I could like tap into, you know, the side of me that wanted to be the doctor. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, uh, the, the thing that comes up for me when you're talking about that is like on a really big scale, the like growth mindset versus fixed mindset, you know, mm-hmm. like when we are handed obstacles, it's either an opportunity to learn and to grow or, or it's like a shutdown, a failure, you know, absolutely. And obviously it's not so dichotomous as that, but I think that's, um, I think that's a really interesting thing that even when presented with something difficult, there's still, yeah, things to learn and to grow and to gain from it. So, Mm -hmm. so that's really cool. So, I already know the answer to this, but so then did you go into medicine in some field or like, how did you? (laughs) Yeah. So I, right after she died, I was like severely depressed as I'm sure most people can imagine. Um, and really kind of went through this identity crisis of, I just spent two years being a mom and a full-time caregiver. And now I don't have that anymore. Yeah. So who am I? Like, what, what do I do with myself? I have all this time. And the first week after her memorial service, because it's like, between death and the service, like people reach out and they have, you know, like, offer to help and all this stuff. And then quickly after that kind of dies out. And so there are many days that I just sat at the house by myself. Like I was planning on like laying in bed every day for like the rest of my life. (laughs) And I was like, I don't want to move. I don't want to get up. I like, why am I still here? Um, We had a friend donate or gift us a portrait session with a professional photographer. Mm. And it was a really beautiful gift. And as a as a, you know, hobby photographer before Skylar came around, along, I valued photos anyway, but I didn't understand the depth of impact they could have until after I lost Skylar. So yeah, after she was gone, like the first week I couldn't even look at the photos. Like it, I just turned them all down because mm-hmm. I, it was so painful But then I missed her and I just wanted to stare into those blue eyes Mm -hmm. and would like flip the photos back up. Mm -hmm. And then I would miss her even more and I would talk to the photos or just hold them and cry or whatever. And what I found was these photos gave me a really beautiful space to grieve Mm -hmm. that most, most everything else. Um, whether it was like someone bringing me coffee or, you know, talking to a counselor or any of that kind of stuff, it was different. Um, the photos gave me space to grieve without fear of judgment from anyone else Mm -hmm. or any expectation of, oh, you know, it's been a month. She's probably still a hot mess or, you know, it's been two months. Maybe she's having an okay day or, you know, like there's just 
expectations that we don't even realize we have um, or that are projected on us. Um, so yeah, the photos were just a huge gift to help me grieve. And after three months, I knew I needed something really like after one month, I was like, I'm going to die if I don't do something mm. like I can't go back to the corporate world because the corporate world is just not a friend of grief and I'll get fired within probably a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I can't get myself out of bed. Um, I'm pretty miserable to be around cause I'm just depressed and anyone who like doesn't know me and know my situation won't understand. Yeah. So I was like, I can't, I can't get, go back to the corporate world, but I can start my own business. And I was like, I've always loved photography and, and had kind of started doing that freelance before Skylar came along. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm just going to start my own photography business. And I spent the next bunch of months like uh, watching online workshops and tutorials and stuff like that. And that was really powerful because learning um, learning can help you get through like grief and depression. Mm-hmm. Um, like it activates a different part of your brain and scientifically I think it helps, you know, produce like the oxytocin and, and stuff like that. Um, because I could watch the videos that had an online community, I felt like I was a part of community without having to interact with people, mm-hmm. which was really, really nice. Cause I could just like turn it off and go cry if I needed to, you know? Yeah. Um, so I had kind of like my two years to kind of like deal with my grief and depression and kind of find myself again and like rediscover my identity. Um, and then I started my photography business and started volunteering sessions to anyone I heard of facing a terminal diagnosis mm. because I knew the photos for us um, made such a difference that I wanted to do the same thing for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's really kind of um, how I got into photography and, and what I'm doing now, which is uh, I started a nonprofit called Love Not Lost. And we photograph people facing a terminal diagnosis and provide a free portrait session and a really beautiful handcrafted album. And we're also on a mission to not only directly support people in grief, but empower the community to show up and support people in grief. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Uh, just the, the evolution of being able to go through your own process, like the parallel there of using photography as a means to help you heal and process your grief and loss um, and recognizing the value of that on a very personal level and then also taking those that new skills and that new set of perspective as a photographer and then being able to layer that into a channel of like helping others and expanding outward I think I mean I think it would still be a beautiful story even if you just became a photographer and that helped you you know like move forward and 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 then yet another layer of applying that to help other people so I think that's really cool Thank you. Yeah, I really like it. And obviously, I mean, I very much find that to be valuable that we have 
more services and more means for people around the world to process and mm-hmm. talk about and feel supported and connected for folks. And it could be very isolating. And I remember Kyle saying that, and I don't know if you would echo this sentiment, but it just was a moment to really distinguish who was really, truly a friend and a, mm-hmm. a person, you know, people, and like you were saying, people, uh, the first couple of weeks are quick to offer support. And then, you know, it's like months later when, well, I, the grief is still there. <laughs> right. That it's harder, you know, to find the network and the support sometimes. So looking back, well, so at the time, I felt like we were, you know, alone and abandoned and like, you know, grief was so hard and depression mm-hmm. and, you know, all that. And and part of that was because I was depressed, right? And I had mm-hmm. I, I lost my, you know, buddy and daughter and um my husband was working and like there were so many hours of the day that I just was alone and it sucked mm-hmm. so bad. But looking back now that I'm like healthy again, mm-hmm. um it was like we were still extremely supported with um, like our church, our family members, um, some of our close friends um, did a great job of loving us through that time mm-hmm. and supporting us. And what what I learned was that like every time someone showed up with lunch or coffee or a dinner um, it like gave us a little bit of love back into our lives. Mm. And it was like all of these people coming together around us, just like little bits at a time, like loving on us and loving us well, Mm. that gave us a little bit of strength to like love ourselves and love each other again. Mm. We really weren't meant to go through this world alone. Like Mm -hmm. life is hard. You face a lot of suffering, like just in life in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so I think that really inspired uh, the company culture that I've created at Love Not Lost and the driving question being, how can we love people better? Because I believe it's in loving people well that you provide people with the ability to find love in themselves again Mm. and give them an opportunity to heal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's actually like been such a powerful guide in growing Love Not Lost and really creating a company culture that thrives around empathy and understanding and love because that's really like what we start with. Yeah. Beautiful. Like how can you support those people when they go through tough times, not just death, but any type of grief, whether it's a family transition or the loss of a pet or, you know, it's like there's so many other things in life that we grieve or that we experience that challenges us and, and kind of like, you know, sets us off, um, sets us off balance for, for a bit. I love that. 
we talk a lot about that and, and how grief is really an invitation to heal, not just the, the actual thing that you're grieving, but all of your past pain as well. And so it's like, you know, each time you feel something, it's like, it's so tempting to just shut that feeling down because it's uncomfortable, right? It's like, okay, let me just go for the alcohol or let me just go for my iPhone and scroll on Instagram for five hours. Mm -hmm. Like, let me just go for a video game so I can check out or binge Netflix or whatever your choice of checkout method is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, like it's so easy to reach for that. And in our society right now, it's literally at your fingertips 24 seven. That's right. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, I think the challenge that our, our world is facing today is like, are you going to make the choice to be present? Mm-hmm. And are you going to make the choice to feel what you're feeling and actually process those emotions so that you can heal from them? Um, you know, I'm going through it right now. Like I have done so much healing work over the past five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are still a few things that I can't quite get my finger on of like, I have an autoimmune disease, um, called Raynaud's mm-hmm. and I got that six months after Skylar was diagnosed mm-hmm. or actually it was just a couple months after Skylar was diagnosed. And I think it was her diagnosis and the stress and like my emotional freak out that like sent my body off kilter. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been able to figure out how to resolve that. And then after Skylar's diagnosis and and after her death, um, my endometriosis Mm. like went off the charts painful. Mm. Like I thought I had cancer and I was dying. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know deep in my gut that all of this is related to stress and emotional pain Mm-hmm. from everything that I went through with Skylar, especially with the timing of it all. And just kind of really trying to get in tune with my body to say, what do you need? Like, how can I love you, my body better? You know, like, how can I, how can I love Ashley better as a, a whole living being person? What yeah. does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. It's all so, so deeply intertwined, you know, and attuning to to loving all of the different aspects of ourselves, as well as the people around us. You know, so often I think, uh, I mean, self-care is a word that's been watered down and thrown around a lot. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I think, I think what it's speaking to is really a lot of, a lot of us are recognizing that we truly aren't kind to ourselves in a lot of ways. (laughs) Yeah. And we let everything else take priority aside from, literally taking care of ourself, our body, our brain, our heart, you know? And so, um, yeah. yeah. And we can't do anything else until we're in a place of, you know, stability and health. So I think when you experience like either full out, you know, burnout or just like true, um, disintegration of yourself Mm -hmm. that you understand, that phrase. And I think moms are extremely um, like susceptible to this because it's like, okay, we have these little kids 
and babies and, you know, people that are like, that are counting on us for their survival. Mm -hmm. So it's so easy to, um, and like, I mean, yeah, it's so easy to just be like, okay, like, you know, I have to feed them. I have to care for them and make sure that they're all, but at the end of the day, like if you're just like worn out and you can't even function and you're not a healthy wife to like be there for your husband or vice versa, like husbands, you know, like there are stay at home dads out there who suffer the same. And like, even working parents are like, it's like, you know, a whole different level of, of, um, stress because you have the stuff at home and the stuff at work. And, um, there are just so many things like none of like, they're all just different. It's kind of like the grief, you know, it's like everyone has their own unique situation and they're all hard. <laughs> like it's all yeah. hard and life is just hard. I think I have time for one more question. Uh, and, and what I would like to ask is, um, kind of a big question. So feel free to answer okay. part or what, what just whatever comes up for you. Uh, so you, you, you mentioned a church being a supportive part of your process and you mentioned, you know, some of this language you're using of awakening and awareness and self-care. And I'm curious if, yeah, if spirituality has played a part in your grieving process, if there, if you identify with a specific religion mm -hmm. or type of spirituality and yeah, how, how that might, might've helped you or, or been a challenge, you know, what about Skylar and what you think about her soul. And mm -hmm. I know that's a really big question, but yeah, I'm just curious. <laughs> like, yeah. speak to spirituality, I guess, in terms of this. Yeah. I'm a young child. Like I just knew there was a God. Mm -hmm. I can't explain it. Um, as early as five, I would say four or five years old, I remember, um, feeling like I could talk and hear from God. Mm -hmm. So then when we had Skylar, it was really interesting because my postpartum depression was all about death, mm -hmm. which is super fascinating. Cause like Skylar wasn't even close to being diagnosed yet. She was still like super baby infant. Interesting. Yeah. And so like Kyle, <laughs> Kyle would like sit down to play the guitar and I would just start hysterical crying mm -hmm. and he'd be like, Oh my gosh, like, did I do something? And I'd be like, no, but like your guitar playing is so beautiful. And it's just mm -hmm. like, it reminds me about life. And then just how like Skylar's a little life that I just brought into this world, but she's going to die. And someday I'm going to have to explain to her why she's going to die. Oh, <laughs> and like, like that was my postpartum depression. I would just cry, like burst into tears about like the meaning of life and death and why we die and why we all have to suffer and you know, all of that. Mm. So I was already kind of like on that train, um, which is, is interesting to me. And then when Skylar got diagnosed and I started praying, I actually like prayed to God and was like, God, like, would you heal her? Um, and he said, no. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I heard no, like I heard him, I heard no in my head. I was like, he was like, no. And I was like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, okay, you're just supposed to stay silent. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're not supposed to tell me no, if it's not a yes, mm -hmm. you know, like just stay mm -hmm. silent. Let me have hope, you know, like what the crap, why did you tell me no? 
And it was funny because our pastor at the time, we went to a church in Atlanta called Trinity Anglican Mission. And um, Chris McDaniel was our pastor and he's phenomenal. He's a, a really sweet guy who lived in our neighborhood and he would come over and he came over and was like, Ashley, I want you to know I've been asking God if he would um, heal Skylar or allow me to heal Skylar. And I heard no. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, you can stop praying. She's not going to get healed. Like I, I know the answer is no. And what I heard in my heart and head of, you know, how I feel like I hear God was um, a voice that said, not many people get miracles. So if I give you the miracle, you're not going to be relatable. Mm-hmm. And you won't be able to help anyone. Mm-hmm. But if Skylar dies, like, I need you to walk through this so that you can help other people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, like, that is the worst. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, I understand it and I, I get it. Um, but I, I don't want it. Um, but it was like this acceptance of like, okay, like, I feel like this is part of my purpose is to help other people. And I don't know if you've done any Enneagram stuff, but I'm a two Mm. and I'm a helper. And so it made perfect sense that God was like, no, I need you to go through this so you can help other people with this specific thing. And so part of that goes back to my faith and belief in God is like, he is like, even though I'm in control of a lot of my life decisions, like he's also orchestrating a bigger narrative. And I believe that my story fits into that. And like, I am going to be used to help other people through grief and healing and figuring out how to be your healthiest self. Mm -hmm. Um, I work really hard to um, not push those beliefs on anyone. Um, Ethically and morally, obviously, it shapes my life. Like, I want to do the right thing. I want to be ethically right um, and good. Um, And, you know, I work hard to treat other people well. And, again, going back to, like, loving people well, it's like I believe that that is is the heart of God is love. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's like I don't care what language you put on it. Like my core mission in life is to love people. Mm-hmm. And I believe at the core of every religion, that's like, it's all about like love and, and acceptance and creating a unity of people in this crazy life together who all just want love and acceptance. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, as, as we lost Skylar, that was hard. Um, but again, because of my relationship with God and, and what I heard going through that, it, it didn't, um, it didn't change anything as far as me questioning God or like being angry. I wasn't angry with God. Um, people ask me that a lot, but I wasn't angry. It was like, you know, I believe that Skylar was a gift and that, she really helped open my eyes to what matters in life. And sadly, like, 
I think I told you this before, but like before Skylar, I was a completely different person. Like Mm -hmm. I still enjoyed helping people because that's just who I am and how I was created, but like not to the level that I do now. Um, I cared about what other people thought. Like I cared about name brands. I cared about what other people were doing and how I measured up and how, you know, I was comparing myself to other people and living for other people's expectations of what they thought that I should do. And, and once Skylar came along, it was like, and, and we got the diagnosis. And then when, especially when she died, it was like, okay, like life is super short and none of that matters. Mm-hmm. Like what matters in life is that we're loved, that we do the best we can with what we have, that we really work to learn and grow as individuals and that we desire to love and help other people. Absolutely. Um, I think all of those perspectives clearly are born of a place of experience. And I think a lot of the wisdom comes from, yeah, wrestling with wrestling with experiences and digging in just what you're saying, like doing inner work. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, yeah, it's, yeah, just how lovely and how beautiful and how wise that you are able to take these experiences and, and use it to help others. So I think that's, I think that's really um, invaluable. I want to say that I've really struggled with, for example, like growing up in really conservative Christian worlds. um, I was always told that like, you never go to a fortune teller or tarot cards or Reiki or like energy, anything or spirit, anything is like different and bad. Mm -hmm. And Like, I have a friend in Atlanta who does Reiki, and that has been, like, one of the most healing things that I have Mm -hmm. done Mm -hmm. because she's been able to get to blocks that I can't get to with words. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, deep emotional wounds and blocks that, like, I have not been able to get to. Mm -hmm. Um, That, like, I have felt such a burden lifted. Um and like such a weight lifted, like, I believe that that's okay. Like, I don't believe that that's evil or wrong just because it's like something that you're not used to or is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that so many conservative Christians, especially like I, like I said, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's like, you know, conservative Bible belt South. I think, you know, with, with religion, it's very important to question no matter what religion you're a part of. So anyway, I just want to say to you, like, I'm probably like, um, on the side of a a more liberal Christian, um, if there's such a thing, um, of being open-minded to questioning and researching and hearing all perspectives without getting defensive, um, right off the bat. So And I, I, I hope that, you know, our world can get to a place where we can do that instead of raging, you know, crazy, ridiculous wars on Facebook about the most recent political thing or, you know, it's like, right. I just, I just am sad to see religion be turned into such a, a weapon these days. So, yeah, 
Sorry, that was such a long-winded question to your answer, but it is a heavy topic and it's no. And it's I, something I, I that I've spent a lot of time thinking about lately because it is so important to know like what you believe. Yeah. Yeah, and that's great. I I asked a big question and so <laughs> I'm glad that there was a big answer and I would expect nothing less from you than <laughs> lots and lots of thought and depth and, and you know, just no, not, not a quick superficial answer. So I, I appreciate that yeah. a lot. Um, and yeah, I'm curious if there's anything else that, that you really want to share or say, um, I will, I will share a link to your love, not lost website on the blog Um, for people to go check out if it's something they're interested in Um, and yeah but is there anything else that you want to say or or share Mm, yeah so one thing that we just launched in March um, is a new website support tool Mm -hmm. Um, and it can be found at howcaniloveyoubetter.com and basically, the, it's a tool that we created to empower people to show up. So we have this digital, or we have a postcard. And on the front, it says, how can I love you better? And on the back, it says, hey, I know you're going through a tough time right now. But I really want to show up for you in tangible ways. But mm-hmm. I just don't always know how. So let me know how I can be of help. And, and I'll do my best to, to meet you in those needs. And so it has check boxes where you can say like, bring me a meal or bring, take me out to coffee or just come over and sit and talk or do my yard work or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you have all these pre-filled in options and we have a couple blanks for people to like write their own needs or offer own needs. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so we had that as a postcard and it was, we still give them out at events and stuff, but we realized that you know, if people want to request one, it takes time for us to mail it and then for them to get it and then to get it to the person. So we've been working really hard. And um, there's a company named Dragon Army in Atlanta who really helped us um, bring this together to create a digital form. And so that's what is currently on howcaniloveyoubetter.com is a digital way to send that postcard to say, hey, these are ways that I want to show up to help you. And then it also gives like a calendar um, portion Mm -hmm. to say like, you know, um, the person can fill out what times are convenient. Um, Right now it's it's out there and people are already using it. And it's been a really cool tool for people to use um, when you don't really know what to do or say, but you want to be there for someone you care about. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. That's so great. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, we'll put a link to that on the blog as well then. And um, yeah, I just, I'm so grateful for your time and for clearly all of your efforts and the work that you do. And um, I appreciate you sharing your story here. And, um, you know, it sounds like it's not a difficult thing for you, as you mentioned earlier, but I appreciate you being open to sharing Thanks. so much about it. And yeah, it's, it's really great to hear yeah. all your thoughts so well thank you so much for having me I'm so glad that you're doing the work that you're doing because it is so important to have space for these conversations and mm-hmm. normalizing them and making sure that people feel comfortable talking about it because it is something that is so normal mm-hmm. um and you know not 
like grief doesn't like death doesn't discriminate and grief certainly doesn't discriminate either and it's a a human experience that um we all go through so thank you for making time and space for it I just want to say one more thing, which is that I am not an expert. I'm not here to tell people how to grieve or heal or what death is or isn't. My main goal with this project is simply to create space for us to share our stories about death and dying. And from that collective experience, enable all of us to feel less alone in facing the challenges of grief and loss. Thank you for listening, for being brave and vulnerable and for your time. Any questions or comments, please get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you and perhaps share your story too.